In the creed that we profess every Sunday, we say, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, we say one because we know that Jesus established one church, not multiple churches. We say holy uh, because we know that Jesus is holy, and therefore those who are connected to Jesus become holy. And we also say um, Catholic, Catholic meaning universal, that wherever one is in the world, if one is a member of this church, uh, one believes the same thing, the same thing when it comes to, to faith and morals. And then apostolic, because it comes directly from the apostles. About three weeks ago, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the branch that oversees the, the doctrine of the Catholic Church, uh, came out and said that there had been a number of um, our people, uh, they've been questioned about uh, whether a baptism is valid if one uses the word we instead of I. So rather than saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, if the person says we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, is that a valid baptism? And the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, the, the CDF, said, um, no, it's not, because it's Jesus doing the baptism, and that when the priest um, or the person who's baptizing says, I, it's referring to Jesus' I, uh, not, not the individual who's physically pouring. It's the same thing at Mass. The priest does not say, this is Jesus' body, this is the chalice of Jesus' blood, he says, he uses the first person singular, uh, because it's Jesus working through the person, bringing about the action within the person. One of the, the seminarians that I knew very well in Detroit when I was studying there, uh, Matthew Hood, when he heard this, he remembered that when he was baptized in 1990, there was a, a video of his baptism. So he went back and he watched the video, and the deacon used the phrase, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He was supposedly ordained a priest back in 2017, and of course we all know as Catholics that one cannot receive any of the sacraments unless one receives baptism first, because baptism is the gateway to all the sacraments. You all know what would happen to this man. He, of course, would be very distraught as he was, because everything that he's, or almost everything that he's done uh, of course, as he's come and celebrated Mass, it's not actually Mass because he's not actually a priest. Um, even when he anointed somebody, it wasn't a, the sacrament of anointing the sick because he wasn't a priest. When he heard people's confessions, yes, he heard their confessions, but he sure didn't give them absolution because he wasn't a priest. So he immediately went to Archbishop Alan Vigneron and told him, and Archbishop Alan Vigneron um, received it very well. So they baptized him then the following week. Um, he received confirmation as well as uh, his First Holy Communion after a valid baptism. The following week then he was ordained a deacon and then immediately a priest. Uh, it's the only situation I know of like this. But of course it's the, um, we know this as Catholics. In order to receive any of the sacraments one needs to receive baptism. We are bound by the sacraments. We are bound by the sacraments. Of course God is not bound by the sacraments. God gives us his grace through the sacraments, through the Mass, through our baptism, through our confirmation, through receiving Holy Communion. Um, he gives his grace to us, and we're bound by what Jesus established, how he established the Church as one holy Catholic and apostolic Church. But we, we all know that without the priest, 
we only have one sacrament, and it's only baptism. Without the priest, we don't have mass. We don't, we, we don't because you need, a, you need that apostolic succession from the apostles themselves who receded from Jesus in order for the church to be established. That's the first part of my homily. The second part of my homily, I want to talk a bit about how the church is, um, how the church is run or how the church is governed. The church is a monarchy. It's not a democracy. It's not a, a republic. It's a monarchy. Jesus is the king, and we are all members of the kingdom. It's, it, but it's not just any old monarchy. It's not like the monarchy that we see in the UK, you know, Queen Elizabeth. Yes, she's the queen, she's the monarch, but we all know she really has no power. You know, she's the prime minister, is the one that has much of the power, but not only that, the parliament, uh, she has handed over her power to, to all of them. Uh, and she's more of a counselor than anything to, to the monarchy. The Davidic monarchy was set up in such a way um, that's probably different than all of the monarchies that we see here. The, the Davidic monarchy, so you had the king, and then when the king was gone, there was what's called the master of the palace, the one who was in charge of the palace, and the one who acted as king when the king was gone. Our first reading that, that we heard lays that out here a bit. Uh, we see the, the description, it was already in place, but it's, we see this description of what was going on. So Shebna um, was, was the master of the palace. He was the, the right-hand man. He was sort of like the prime minister, the chancellor uh, to the king. And, but he hasn't been doing his job. He's been messing up. So the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, says, Thus says the Lord to Shebna, master of the palace, I will thrust you from your office and pull you down from your station. On that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe. I will gird him with your sash and give over to him your authority. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So he's acting as the, the father uh, because the, the king is gone. And then listen to this. I will place the key of the house of David on Eliakim's shoulder. When he opens, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. Meaning that he's got the key to the door of the palace. If he shuts the door, nobody can come in. Nobody can open that door. It's the master of the palace who has the say of who comes in and who goes out. That is how the Davidic monarchy is set up. They had 19 kings before they were brought into exile. And then the people of Israel, as they came back from, uh, as they came back to their homeland, what did they long for? They longed for that Davidic kingship to come back. So when we get to our, our uh, gospel reading today, Jesus goes with his disciples away from the Holy Land. He goes to Caesarea Philippi, about 20 miles to the north, pagan territory. And he asks, he just asks the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they are thinking, well, we, we've seen Jesus, you know, cure diseases. We've seen him do all these things. Um, 
Some people think that you're John the Baptist. Others think you're that Elijah. Remember, Elijah has zoomed into heaven. He was taken up in that fiery chariot. And they were expecting him to come back again. Others thought he was Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, But who do you say that I am? And these are the guys who have seen Jesus walk on water. He's multiplied the loaves and the fish. They've seen him calm the storm. Like, who has power over a thunderstorm? I sure, sure don't. And I don't think any of you do either. But we know Jesus calms the storm, and they see this. And Peter, uh, Simon Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We don't know what the word Christ means anymore. But for, for the people of Israel... They knew exactly what it meant. It's, it's the same, it's another word for king. Christos, it means the anointed one. The word Messiah is the Hebrew word. Messiah, the anointed one. Simon says, you are the anointed one. You are the anointed one. You're the king. And then Jesus responds, that flesh and blood has not revealed this to Simon, but God has. It's a special grace that God has given to Simon. And then he continues and he says, And I say to you, you are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. You are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. We translate the first word as Peter, and the second word as rock. It confuses us who speak the English language because the word Peter means rock. We get the word petrified, uh, petrified wood. What is it? It's wood that is turned to rock. If we look at the grotto outside here, um, what is it made out of? Petrified wood. It's rock. It's solid. And Jesus says to Simon, you are rock. He changes his name. You are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Okay, what's going on here? Everybody knows what the Davidic kingship looks like. Yeah, the king... And you had the master of the palace. But lest we still didn't get that, Jesus continues, I will give you the keys. But he doesn't say to the palace. He says to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's why we, we have, we Catholics, you know, talk about when you die, you meet Peter, you know, at the gates of heaven. That's, that's where this comes from, this passage right here. Because it's, it's rock, it's, it's the, um, well, it's the Pope. Because we know that when Simon Peter dies, God doesn't just say, okay, got no more uh, master of the palace to take care of the palace, you know, when I'm gone. But he establishes someone else and someone else. We've had 266 of them now. We have Pope Francis as our Pope. I don't like the word Pope. And I don't like the word Pope uh, because it's, it's really, it doesn't connect us with the real meaning behind it. In the Romance languages, in, um, in Latin and in, um, in Spanish and Italian and Portuguese, they say Papa. Papa Francisco. Papa Francisco. That's the correct word. Daddy. And where does that come from? Well, we heard that back in our first reading. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
Pope is the father figure. He's, paid, uh, he's the one that uh, oversees the whole church. He's responsible. He is the one who brings about the one church. Or he's the visible image of that. So when one divorces oneself from the Pope, one is saying, I don't want to be part of that one church. And I want to make myself my own Pope. And now today we have, I don't know, how many Popes do we have? It's like 30 to some, 30 to 40 some thousand Popes. You know, whoever, whatever pastor says this or says that. Um, but we all know that when Jesus establishes the church, he sets it up just as I explained. He sets it up like the Davidic monarchy. And it's, it's Peter who's made the rock. He's the one that, that brings about and is the visible one who, uh, who shows the unity within the church. But there's, a, there's um, a problem that we sometimes have as a culture. There's a word that, that we use about the Pope that we don't always understand. It's the word infallible. Is the Pope infallible? Yes, the Pope is infallible. But what does that mean? It, it certainly doesn't mean that he's sinless. If we look at the history of the church, the Pope is, is clearly, um, he's a sinner just like everybody else. But neither does it mean that what, says, that what comes out of his mouth, whatever he says is completely true. doesn't mean that either. What it means is that whenever he speaks in the name of the church in regards to faith and morals, we know that God has given him a special grace to speak the truth in those moments. It has only happened twice in the history of humanity, in the history of the church that we know of, where the Pope has declared in the name of the church that all Christians are to believe such and such. But he didn't come up with this teaching either. He merely restated what the church had always taught and which some were beginning to deny the two teachings that he uh, required all Catholics to believe is Mary's immaculate conception, that Mary was immaculately conceived from the moment of her conception. The, the feast we celebrate on December 8th uh, in December, or coming up here in a few months. And the other one that he uh, required all Catholics to believe is Mary's assumption into heaven, the feast that we celebrated just eight days ago. On the, on the 15th of this month. Those two beliefs, the church has always believed, but some were denying it. Um, I don't know if you know, but Martin Luther, a former Catholic priest, believed that Mary assumed into heaven. And in his early writings, he also talked about Mary's Immaculate Conception. It wasn't until he, he went more and more against the Pope that he changed his belief in regards to Mary's Immaculate Conception. And that is like 400 years before the Pope said that all Catholics are required to believe it. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. One, Jesus established one church, not 40,000 different churches. Holy, because Jesus established the church, we can become holy. And there are literally very holy people within the church. Catholic, meaning universal. That if we go to Mexico, we can attend a Catholic church there and we're part of the same church. We go to China, the same thing. Italy, the Holy Land. 
one church governed by the same government, a monarchy. And then, of course, apostolic. In order to receive six of the sacraments, we need the bishops. We need apostolic succession. The grace I would like you to pray for at this Mass is, is twofold. Uh, pray for the grace that, that uh, you may always remain Catholic, that, that you may hang on to the, the church that, that Jesus has established. Um, despite our brokenness, despite our, our difficulties, that you may hang on to um, God's grace. For Jesus is the King. Yes, the Pope is the visible one who's taking care of the church uh, visibly, but it's Jesus, the one who gives the grace. So pray that you may always be Catholic. And the second grace to pray for is uh, pray for unity amongst Christians. At every Mass, during the Eucharistic prayer, we pray for, you know, that all may be united with Francis, our Pope, and David, our Bishop. Maybe, I guess, the third thing to pray for is pray for us clergy. When we do things bad, it's really bad. It's really bad. So pray for us that we may not be a Judas, but that we may be a Simon Peter who, after um, sinning, goes back to Jesus. Pray for us clergy. Let's pray for these graces at this Mass.